The Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah, the 26th chapter. When Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat at the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death, because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words you have heard. Now therefore mend your ways and your deeds, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I know all of us are concerned by the things we're seeing on the news of the war that has erupted between Russia and the Ukraine. Many have died. Many more have fled that country and are now refugees. And few are going into that country to try to stop that to try to save that country. Two previous world wars in Europe erupted from what first appeared to be minor skirmishes that everyone hoped would go away. This is the way most people think. Those are the wishes that most people have. But we can never be sure of that. The people of Europe in those years had no idea what would befall them as things escalated. We hope that that does not happen. We pray that that does not happen. But nevertheless, the Bible assures us that this is the way all things in this world will eventually end. Jesus spoke about this often, not only here in Luke 13, but later in Luke 21, where he said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. 
These are the things that lead up to God's final judgment upon sin in this world. And I'll speak more to that in a moment. Jesus was warned in our gospel reading that Herod was out to murder him. He was going to Jerusalem and he would go into that storm. While most people would be fleeing and most would hope that things would blow over, Jesus went into the face of all of it. Jesus went to change things. He ended this little conversation with a quote from Psalm 118, a great psalm in the Bible, one I'll commend to you for later reading. This is the psalm where if you open your Bible roughly in the middle, you will end up close to Psalm 118, if not on that very psalm. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Most of the time in this world, it seems as though in the struggle between righteousness and wickedness, it is always wickedness that persists and wickedness that prevails. But with that quote from that great psalm, Jesus said, things are about to change. So the first point in the sermon is this, a day of judgment is coming. This is what Jesus was speaking about when he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You persecute the prophets, kill the prophets that God has sent to you. Why this rejection? Most of Israel throughout history rejected God's salvation, and the world has certainly followed suit in the same way. This is why there will be eventually a judgment day. One of the attributes of God is that he is just, and those who reject his justice, and especially his justification, will have to deal with his consuming fire. Only those who find refuge under the forgiveness of God for their sins will find salvation. Jesus referred to this. He said, I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. There was a devastating fire in Yellowstone National Park, and after the fire, one of the rangers was surveying the destruction. He saw a carcass of a dead prairie chicken burned. He went over and kicked it, and as he did, three little fluffy chicks jumped up. They were saved by the death of their mother. Jesus is preparing us for something. He's helping us to see the things that are going to change when he himself goes into the storm at Jerusalem. Nevertheless, most people in the world, in America particularly, don't believe in a judgment day. A USA Today Gallup poll some years ago came, came to America with this question. Do you think there will be an apocalyptic end to the world? 23, only 23% said yes. 16 said it is unlikely, 16% very unlikely, and 41% no opinion. The vast majority of people do not think that a judgment day is coming. Nevertheless, Jesus taught about this. In this very same chapter, chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus speaks of it again. Strive to enter by the narrow door, he says, for there are many who are going to try to get in, but they will not. And outside, Jesus says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, referring to that final separation between the righteous and the wicked, between those who have been made righteous 
through the forgiveness and the grace of God. That brings us to point number two. God, nevertheless, despite the majority rejection of him, God, nevertheless, wants all men, all people to be saved. How often, Jesus said, I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says that God desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. And this raises a tremendous theological paradox. How can it be that God, who is almighty, doesn't get his way here? If he desires all to be saved, how is it possible that most are not saved because they reject him? Well, many people have tried to solve this paradox by giving themselves some sort of credit for their salvation. They either add works to faith or they turn faith itself into their work, something they have accomplished, something that just in the final end barely tips the scale in their favor when it comes to their salvation. But that's not a solution to the paradox. It's not the biblical solution. It's not the answer that Jesus would ever give. Jesus just gave us the answer to the question. Why is it that most have are not going to be saved? The answer is, you would not. That's the choice that people make. The rejection of God. And beyond that, we don't understand it and we don't try to figure it out. Because in the end, saved means saved. It means you didn't do it. It means somebody else did it for you. If saved meant being helped by someone, then it wouldn't be called salvation. It would be called survival. But our entrance into heaven will not be a survival. It will be a salvation. So that causes me to uh, have a very important element in this sermon where I want to answer this question, a very simple and profound question. I hope everybody already knows the answer to this question, but I'm going over it, especially to reinforce it for you. And if you don't know the answer to this question, I hope when you walk out tonight, you will. What does it mean to be saved? If this salvation thing is so important, if it is what really matters in the end, we should certainly know what it is And we certainly want to be a part of it. There's simply many ways we could explain it, but two simple ways to explain it are these. Salvation is, first of all, a spiritual breakdown. You know, there are emotional breakdowns in life. There are physical breakdowns in life. But we have to have a spiritual breakdown. We already spoke of it in our worship. We began with a prayer of repentance. And we said, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? This is our breakdown. This is our admission that we fall short of the glory of God, that we need to be saved, that we have sinned against God in thought, word, in deed, and that we cannot free ourselves from this sinful condition. Remarkably, many, many people don't think that way. Many people are even sometimes, I've had people walk out of this church and have told me they were offended by that prayer. They're not poor, miserable sinners. And this is the sad way that many people think. 
Many who call themselves Christians even think this way. They think they're decent people, and they probably are compared to other people. But there's never a word in the Bible that says it's your decency that gets you into heaven. Only perfection. If we do not have that perfection of Christ, then we are, as Paul says, enemies of Christ. Our God is our belly, and our glory is our shame. That is, we're glorying in our own decency, and we think this is what will save us. We need to admit that we fall short, that, and that in and of itself is a very serious matter. Because every sin, even whether it is the biggest sins or the littlest sins, they are all part of what brings disasters like the Ukraine-Russian war upon this world. Spiritual breakdown. The second thing about being saved is simply this. Being under the wings of God's mercy. Jesus used that beautiful expression of a hen gathering her chicks under her wings. I gave you the example of an actual prairie chicken who died for her chicks. This is what Jesus is going to Jerusalem for. We can think of these wings of salvation as the word and the sacraments, baptism and communion. When you read through the Bible cover to cover, asking yourself the question, where do I find forgiveness? This is where you find it, in the promises of God's word to you, in the promises of God's word in baptism. Baptism now saves us, Peter said. In the words of forgiveness in the Lord's Supper, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Nowhere else do you find forgiveness, not in fasting, not in singing prayers and hymns and things like that, doing good works for your neighbor, being a decent person. This doesn't earn you forgiveness at all. These are all good and wonderful things that God expects us to do. But the wings of God's mercy are the wings of His mercy to us. God's judgment on this world of sin and of our own personal sin is not going to touch us. We have that mercy. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And this brings me to the third part of my sermon outline, the Hosanna prayer. And this is where we come back to the way Jesus sort of ended this discussion with this kind of cryptic quote, Psalm 118, like you're sitting there listening to Jesus. He's got this threat of murder. And uh, why, Jerusalem, do you reject the Lord? And yet, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's he talking about there? Well, you have to know that psalm, and then you'll understand. This is the psalm that includes the verse, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And this was, the psalm says, the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. This is what Jesus is really referring to. Let us rejoice and let us be glad. And now verse 25 of Psalm 118. Hosanna, Lord. Grant success, Lord. We will sing this Hosanna prayer in just a few moments as we do every Sunday in our worship service. This is God's assurance to us that we will make it through Judgment Day or any other tremor leading up to the final Judgment Day. 
and even our own death, which is a kind of personal judgment day for all of us. Friday night, I led my YouTube Bible study on the topic of being spiritually prepared for disaster. As we think about this war in a far part of the world, wondering about its possible escalation or not, we should be really concerned about our own preparation. Are we prepared? Am I prepared? Jesus assures us there will be wars, earthquakes, famines, rumors of wars. All of these are reminders of the ultimate coming judgment day. But as Jesus pressed himself on to Jerusalem to die for us, so we are reminded of Paul's promise in Romans 14, verse 8. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That's what takes away the fear of disaster, the fear of a war coming upon us. That is what causes us not to be paralyzed. We have the Hosanna prayer. God has taught us to say it. Save now, Hosanna, and grant us success. That's the other part of surviving any disaster in this world. Not only do we not fear the possibility of death, once that is taken care of, we have the faith to live. And it's quite likely that we will accomplish the will of God even in the face of terrible disasters. Even if we should enter into some disaster and die in it, we don't die as victims, but we die as victors. Victors in Jesus, just as he rose from the dead on the third day, we also will be with the Lord and on the last day be raised ourselves. Some years ago, we had a member of our church by the name of Anne. She lived a long and good, faithful life as a Christian. But toward the end of her life, her heart was giving out, and so she had to go to the hospital. While she was in the intensive care, it was looking like there wasn't much they could do to save her. Nevertheless, they were doing their best. The doctors came and asked her, what medicines do you take? And told, her, told them, none, which surprised them. And then they asked, well, how have you lived such a long life and you never take any medicine? Her quick answer was, I clean my house and I go to church. That left a powerful impression on the medical people there. They saw in her this faith, which was not afraid of dying, because she lived daily in that promise of Hosanna, the Lord will save and success, God will grant that as well. As we face our storms of life, as we face our own end of life, or even judgment day itself, we can be confident because we have believed in the one who has said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He came to Jerusalem. He came for us. He will come again on the last day for us as well. Amen. Please rise.